welcome to the filmpulse.net podcast this is episode number 91 my name is adam today we're joined by kevin how are you kevin doing all right today we're coming down with a case of ender's game in a future uh, review oh man <laughs> ender's game everyone's gonna catch it everyone's gonna catch it <laughs> then we'll yeah. be going over some of what we've been watching and finally we'll be covering this week's movie predictions new on video on demand and dvd and blu-ray releases first up Let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I think I'll start it off this week. I had a pretty, well, I guess it was a decent week. Um, I watched Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is the final two in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I still like New Nightmare a lot, and Freddy's Dead is pretty decent. It's not. What's New Nightmare? New Nightmare is the the okay. very last one. Very last one. I mean, if you don't count Freddy vs. Jason. Um, this is this is the one that's directed by Wes Craven and written by Wes Craven. And it's the one, I don't know if you remember it, but it has this really big meta element to it where all the characters from the original are in it, but they're playing themselves. Like John Saxon is John Saxon. Okay. And it's like they're they're playing themselves and they're developing a script for the new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like Wes Craven's in it playing himself. So it's got this big meta element to it. Oh, man. Well, it's interesting because the, at the time, I don't think that there were many movies that were doing that. I mean, this came out in 94. How many uh, Freddy movies are there? Because you watched like all of them. In there's like the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, there's uh, six or seven. Six. It's it feels like you've watched like twenty four. Well, I've only been watching one or two a week. Okay. Over the last like three weeks, so. Apparently, I just naturally double that number for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is that they're all pretty decent. I mean, part two is not. Part two is the worst. It's pretty bad. Okay, I was going to say, what's the weakest one? Yeah, part two. But then part three completely makes up for it. Like, part three is legitimately good. So, hmm. the in- they're interesting movies. Like, with Friday the 13th, which is still, I think, my favorite series, most of them are bad. Like, they're all pretty bad. <laughs> but Nightmare on Elm Street... Like, they've all, all the movies performed well at the box office, and they all have interesting ideas in them, even if they're not all well executed. Yeah. So, you know. So you at least have an interesting premise. Yeah. I'm also watching the Never Sleep Again documentary on Nightmare on Elm Street, but I'm not, I'm not done, so I probably Which is, that one's 30 hours long, correct? (laughs) It's, yeah, it's four, it's four hours long. (laughs) It's close. It's close. I'm not finished with that one yet, so I'll probably talk about that next week. I saw Saki Bomb. This is a movie, I don't know if I can even talk about it, because I thought it was going to be coming out this week, so I watched it, but it turns out it's not coming out till next week. I love the fact that you've been putting this off for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, trying to, I was trying to pawn it off on somebody else, but nobody else was interested. <laughs> Oh, you had to bite the bullet. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's okay to talk about it. It Was Was it worth the wait? It's actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
But it is actually pretty good. Like, it's it's not as horrible as I thought it would be. There are a lot of parts to it that I kind of had a feeling that there would be in there. Like, a lot of Asian jokes, Asian stereotype jokes, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. it's actually pretty good, and it had a really interesting message to it. So, I'll have the review, full review up for that on the site this week, towards okay. the end of the week. But... It's a light I'm, recommend. I'm waiting with bated breath. No, you won't like it, but <laughs> I think that there's enough here to to make it a light recommend. Okay. So uh, basically, the story's about a... There's two cousins. One is in Japan, and he comes over to the United States to stay with his cousin for a week. And his cousin is was born in America, so he's very uh, Americanized. And it's kind of like the culture clash between the two. And the the American cousin is he he is kind of uh, lazy, and he basically just makes YouTube videos about Asian stereotypes. Like he kind of okay. does these rants for his video blog. Gotcha. And it turns out that his cousin, who is from Japan really doesn't have any of the stereotypes at all. Like, he's from this small village where he didn't have, like, a computer or a TV, so he's not familiar with anime and stuff like that, which is really funny because there's a scene where they go to an anime party, a cosplay party at an anime convention, Mm -hmm. and as soon as he walks in and everybody at the party finds out that he's Japanese from Japan, they lose it. They're, like, so enamored with this kid (laughs) and it's just kind of it's kind of a really interesting movie in that respect like it plays with the ideas of how americans generalize japanese culture and but also how some a subset of americans are kind of obsessed with japanese culture yeah so it's it's really interesting in that regard i know that definitely there's one thing about this film that will automatically have me never watch it ever and that's that fan that fan the comedian he's in it i wouldn't I, no i won't watch anything that that guy's in like the most unfunny person ever i don't oh i know i know who he, he's not i don't care he's if his face shows up anywhere in something i'm not watching it okay sorry can't okay. do it i hate that guy he's so terrible either way Saki Bomb hits limited release next Friday. I, I'm thinking maybe it's on demand too, but I'm not sure. But be warned, Dad fans in it. Give but, that disclaimer. Yeah, he's not one of the main characters or anything. I know. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> he actually plays, I think, if I'm remembering it correctly, Dad Fan plays an Asian porn star. Oh, okay. Yeah, anyway. Saw saw the New Black, which is a documentary about really interesting documentary about the African American point of view when it comes to same sex marriage. Yeah, and it takes place in Maryland when they were voting on question six, which is basically a same sex marriage bill. Mm-hmm. And this was really interesting because I'm a 29 year old heterosexual white guy so when i was watching this or when i set out to watch this i was thinking you know i'm gonna have nothing to take away from this or relate to in any way but 
in the end, I found it to be really powerful and kind of inspiring to see to see this. But it also gets into some of the reasons that the the black people in general are kind of opposed to gay marriage and maybe opposed to gay people in general. Okay. So it was it was really interesting. A lot of it has to do with the church, as you might expect. No. Yeah. <laughs> but it does it does a pretty decent job of trying to go down the middle and showing both sides. So the film follows a group of volunteers that are trying to promote and raise awareness for the the bill and try to get it passed, I think. <laughs> I can't remember if the if question 6 was if by voting yes you were upholding the bill cuz the bill passed. But then this was a uh, to get it repealed. Okay. So I can't, but I can't remember if how it was worded. If you wanted to vote for it or against it, I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. Know, you know what I mean? I got gotcha. you. Yes or no? But either way, it goes. It talks to both sides of the argument and gets both perspectives. And very interesting, very powerful film. Not groundbreaking or earth shattering. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was, you know, it's a documentary that sets out to show the African-American perspective on this very hot button issue. Mm -hmm. And rather than just kind of taking a broad nationwide look at it, giving us facts and figures and talking heads, they kind of make it more personal and intimate by having it in this one area in Maryland and talking to these specific people so it gives it kind of a more human feel and the thing is though it can apply to everywhere in the country it doesn't just apply to that to maryland gotcha so i I recommend it it's playing limited release right now i also don't know if that's on demand i (laughs) with on demand stuff dude it's like so like i never really know say it is i'm sure it's playing somewhere yeah. Or it will by the time you finally find it. Yeah. Well, then I saw The Visitor. This is from 1979. This was my Grindhouse Weekly. How are you still living? And I this I picked this because Drafthouse Films is re-releasing this. And they remastered it. They're presenting it uncut. It's playing in theaters now, actually. And this is a crazy movie. You should You should definitely see this. I do want to see this. It is, uh, it's kind of, this very badly. yeah, it's kind of a cross between Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Birds, Star Wars, and Carrie. Okay. If you can imagine that, basically it's about these aliens who, one of them, it's kind of a good and evil story, good versus evil, and one alien comes to Earth and he sets out to mate with as many women as he can. He has a daughter. I think he dies. I think the guy dies. Because this is all like told through Franco Nero, who is looks a lot like Jesus, telling these group this group of bald kids <laughs> this this story. This and is, this just sounds amazing. Yeah. It's really hard to explain this movie. It's tough to explain it 
So basically, this guy comes to Earth after he finds out who the girl is in order to protect her and to prevent her her powers from getting into the wrong hands. And there's this evil organization on Earth that is trying to get the girl and harness her power for evil for some reason. I guess they want to, like, kind of rule the world. And <laughs> what they're also trying to do is get Lance Hendrickson to mate with uh, <clears throat> the girl's mom in order in order to have another kid who's a boy so that the two kids can mate and have an even more powerful offspring. Oh, my God. This yeah. just sounds amazing. There's telekinesis in it. There's plenty of telekinesis, Carrie style. There's a lot of birds, a lot of attack birds in yes. this for some reason. Like it's the, the girl, only kind of birds that should exist. Yeah, the girl's, the girl's kind of evil. She's pretty evil. She swears a lot. She's eight, but she like swears a lot, and she's just uh, she's always messing with people and stuff. She makes a basketball hoop explode <laughs> while the guy's doing a slam dunk. <laughs> and, oh god! And she has a pet hawk. Is it a laser hawk? the The hawk is not a laser hawk, but it is an evil hawk that attacks people and gouges out their eyes. I guess that's. I mean, it's not as good as a laser hawk, but I guess it's better than just a regular hawk. Yeah, the the film stars Glenn Ford, and I mentioned Lance Hendrickson. Sam Peckinpah's in it. Fantastic. <laughs> he plays a doctor. It is such a weird movie. Oh, my God. Shelley Winters? Yeah, Shelley Winters plays the nanny. It's, it says Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, Please well, tell me that's not wrong. Please no, tell me that that's not wrong. No, he is in it, but he's just in the opening scene that I just mentioned at the basketball game. Oh, she that's... she blows up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? I think, I'm pretty sure it is Kareem that's doing <laughs> the dunk when it blows up. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm like 99% positive. Oh, God. How many people get attacked by this hawk? I want to say like three or four. Ah, that's not enough. Shelly Winters gets attacked. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, Glenn Ford gets attacked. Fantastic. I don't know if I want to say who dies because people die, but I don't know if I want to say who no, dies. No, you don't. Yeah, don't don't tell me that. But I can't. I don't think. I don't think Sam Peckinpah gets attacked. But there's a scene involving a different bird, not the same bird, okay. that is attacking someone. And the bird is approaching the person, and all of a sudden, a large metal rod comes out of the bird's mouth and nice. stabs the person in the throat, killing Are you them. serious? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what that was all about. Why? But you're happy you saw it. Oh, I, I loved the movie. I okay. thought it was really weird, really trippy. It, it wasn't quite, because from the trailer and stuff like that, which... I will mention that a new trailer for it just came out, and Jason Eisner, the guy who directed Hobo with a Shotgun, mm -hmm. made the trailer, and it's it's a pretty great trailer. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm so excited. After you see the trailer, you'll be like, I have to see this movie. I have to see it just from what you just told me. I mean, there, there's an evil hawk. There is an evil hawk. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar may or may not be blown up while he's dunking a basketball. Yeah. How do you not sign on for that? I don't think I'm describing it well enough, so if I may, just I'm going to read the synopsis here from Draft House. 
In this unforgettable assault on reality, restored and presented uncut theatrically for the first time ever in the U.S., legendary Hollywood director-slash-actor John Huston stars in an inter- as an intergalactic warrior who joins a cosmic Christ figure in, in battle against a demonic eight-year-old girl and her pet hawk, while the fate of the, fate of the universe hangs in the balance. Multidimensional warfare, pre-adolescent profanity, and brutal avian attacks combine to transport the viewer to a state unlike anything they've experienced. Somewhere between hell, the darkest reaches of outer space, and Atlanta, Georgia. Oh my god. Yes. Yes, please. It's baffling all-star cast includes Shelly Winters, Glenn Ford, Lance Hendrickson, Franco Nero, and Sam Peckinpah. Uh... It's not quite as weird as I expected it to be. Like I under, you can understand the plot for the most part. Although there are armies of bald children that appear for some reason that suddenly turn into adults. Yes. And I wasn't really sure. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of weird, but for the most part, I was able to follow it and could understand it. So it's not so surreal that you're just like what the hell is going on <laughs> but yeah i think you would like it quite a bit uh, i'm in then i saw eyes without a face finally saw that oh yeah from 1960 yeah like this halloween i decided to take some take some movies off my list of shame so i there you go gave this a watch i liked it quite a bit i thought the music was kind of weird though i don't know if you remember the music i don't really remember the music it doesn't match the movie at all like it's kind of this goofy just this really goofy music and i didn't quite understand why because of what i was seeing on screen was pretty horrific (laughs) Uh, i was surprised i mean this this movie was pretty gruesome for 1960 yeah it was i think i think criterion said that this was like the the goriest movie of its time before Night of the Living Dead came out. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, I liked it. It was pretty beautifully shot, and it was very, I would call it a haunting movie. Like, just this, any scene that involved her wearing that mask wandering around, she was so creepy looking. I know. It's, It's very unsettling. Yeah, it is. It, it's a, like a hauntingly poetic movie, I would say. Just the way it was, just the story and the way it was shot, it all feels very dreamlike and. Which is it's sort of a shame. I and mean, like back in the sixties and seventies, you had so many of these like art house directors that would make horror films, and like you don't you don't really get that anymore nowadays. Like big time artistic directors making horror films Mm, no it's a shame no not really i guess you don't but either way i mean it's if you're a horror movie fan it's an absolute must see but i think if you're a horror movie fan odds are you have seen it already yeah that's why it was on my list of shame and i would also recommend again i know i always say this but if you can get the criterion version check that out because it looks amazing yes without a doubt uh, then I saw Black Sunday. This was another one that was on my list of shame, directed by Mario Bava. Bava. And I gotta say, like, I know that this might be a controversial statement, but I wish that this was in color. And I know that that is probably very controversial, but 
The thing about Mario Bava is when he started colorizing his movies, they looked so crazy and so good. As I was yeah. watching Black Sunday, I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder what this would look like if he used his like big, bright, vibrant colors in it. Yeah. Because it's, it's funny, because this came out in 1960 as well. This is also very violent mm-hmm. and very gruesome. Like, I was kind of, I was really surprised by how violent this one was. The camera work, the cinematography, definitely, you can definitely tell where he was, what kind of direction he was going to take with his later films. Because there, you can definitely see it with Black Sunday. And it just, it looks like a movie that's ahead of its time. And I think I've said that about his movies before. All of them. They do, though. They, to me, they look ahead of their time with the camera, just how the camera moves, the framing, that, that type of stuff. I do remember the, like, the settings in this film and the set design and everything was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty typical gothic horror i mean you have big mansions and crypts and you know things like that but it all looked it all looked really good i do love when the the one painting changes Mm -hmm. and they just sort of like ah you it's not that big of a deal they do and i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) the painting just changed in front of your eyes you should do something and they're just like, ah, I'm going to go to bed. Well, that's the thing. Like, they make... Some of the dialogue in this movie is atrocious. And I know that a lot of people just give this movie a pass just because of when it came out and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sorry, but some of the dialogue is horrible. In this yeah, movie. it's 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 pretty bad. I mean, I still enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, but I enjoyed it's, it. It's, it's pretty bad. I, I remember it, but... I, I forgot that I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people say that this was Mario Bava's best movie, but I, I don't yeah, agree with that at all. I, I hope not. I hope that's not his best movie. No, it's not. It's definitely not. It's his first movie. I think it's a good debut. Yeah. But anyway, I still recommend checking it out, though. Don't get me wrong. I did enjoy it. Okay. Thoroughly entertained by it. Uh, and then finally, I saw Green Street 3, Never Back Down. Why? This Why did the- you do this? Why do you do this to yourself? Well, there's a couple of reasons I saw this one. First of all, a uh, friend of the show, Joey Ansah, is in it. And okay. he, when I was talking to him, he said, like, this one's completely different. This one is a departure from the other two. And I really liked the first one a lot. Okay. And so I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Not very good. Not very good? No. You know what it's like? It's basically like a dance it's a dance film. That's what it is. Wait a second. What? I mean, it's the way that it's structured and the narrative. It's that of a dance film. It's just with fighting instead of dancing. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's the exact same. Like you, The premise is somewhat interesting. So in the UK, there's very little hooliganism that happens these days because of all the CCTV that's everywhere. Like you don't have the big fights that you previously had so what they do is you know there's all these firms that have this pent-up aggression towards other clubs and blah 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 so they organize underground fights okay between firms and so there's this whole underground fight club that's happening 
between football club firms. But it's pretty ridiculous. And then, of course, you have the underdog team, the trains. There's like 50 montages. There's like 50 training montages in this movie. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. Is it a ragtag group? Yeah, it's a ragtag group. It's uh, I think it's the West Ham firm. <laughs> Is do they all have like their special abilities? Uh, sort of. Yeah, sort of. I'd say that. Everything is, that you said about Green Street Three sounds awful. It's not very good. Not okay. very good. I mean, there's some decent fighting, but it's not really like martial arts. It's more. It's more like street brawling. Yeah. So even the fight scenes are not great. They're pretty brutal. They're it's, it's violent, but it's just limbs flying around. Yeah. And awesome. Scott Scott Atkins is stars in this, and he's, I would say, a pretty <clears throat> big up and coming action guy. Okay. I mean, I don't know if I'd even say up and coming. I think he probably is already. He's already here. Made it. Yeah. He's already there. Yeah, he was in it like The Expendables two and a bunch of stuff. He was in Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. So, unfortunately, I cannot recommend Green Street 3. Never back down. Oh, that's a bummer. That's all I got. That's all you got? I finally rewatched uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Because of you watching those other 32 films, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I decided yeah. to rewatch the original. And uh, pretty damn good. I love all the set pieces. They're extremely disturbing. Especially the bed that just vomits blood everywhere. Just the, the way that that's filmed. Well, it's oh interesting. Uh, the way that they shot that, they used it was the same. They used the same rig that they used during the first kill, when yeah. she was crawling on the ceiling and on the wall, which is also outstanding. It, that that I think is probably one of my favorite kills in any horror movie ever. Because to me, it's just so disturbing to me. I don't know why. I think probably because it scared me so much as a kid. Yeah, but, she's just like flailing around on the ceiling, blood everywhere, just yeah. screaming. And of course, Rod's such a sissy, like cowering in the corner, just reaching out his arm. Yeah, that's like, the funny thing is he's Cheetah, reaching out his arm. Cheetah, like what the fuck are you doing, Rod? How are you helping at all? You're not doing anything. Yeah, I mean, you think he'd be like jumping up there trying to pull her down? You think he would do anything? Just something instead of just screaming, holding out. <laughs> Holding out your arm, but it was funny because the the bed vomiting thing they used the same rotating room, mm-hmm. and what they wanted to do was they wanted to flip the room upside down and then dump dump all the blood in so that it would look like you know it was coming up. But what yeah. happened was they dumped in so much blood that it caused the the weight to shift in the room. And the the room started spinning out of control, and yes. it caused this big problem. And it also, as soon as the the blood hit the light that's in the room, it electrified the blood, and yes. the guy pouring the blood got electrocuted. Yes. And so when you see it in the movie, it doesn't just go up to the ceiling. It kind of goes up to the ceiling, and then it starts like going all over the walls. And there's this like crazy looking effect where it doesn't go straight up. It it starts to like go off to the side. Yes. And it, it actually makes it look better. Yes, it does. It looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, and that was all like completely unintentional. 
The only problem with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street with the ending for me, the ending just devolves into just absolute silliness with the booby traps and everything. And just, it completely lost me at the end. It just, it turned into like slapstick comedy. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why are you ruining such a great film? Eh, I was okay with it. But I, for me, the, the everything beforehand, all of that, the strength of all of that, pretty much made up for the ending. The other scene that's one of my favorites is the body bag. The yes. Body bag oh scene. my god. Yeah, that entire scene. Like, she's just standing out in the hallway. And then, you know, the, just the trail of blood mm-hmm. throughout the hallway. And just her in the body bag laying on the ground. And, you know, an invisible beam picking up her legs and dragging her off. It was fantastic. But like I said, I mean, the ending just sort of... But, and, like, I mean, how many times does a girl have to break windows, break windows and scream know. for her life? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just like, ah, well, just let her be. She's having a rough time with all the deaths and whatnot. And, and the funny thing is, it was not only just, like, general people, but her dad, who was across directly across the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, he's just <laughs> like the entire police force of the entire town. It's just like, yeah, you think we should uh, we should go look into that? Nah, it's all right. We'll just wait a little bit. I did like the the twist at the end when his, the mom gets sucked through the window, though. I, I think that that was <laughs> such a cool-looking effect. <laughs> it's so hilarious, though. It's so terrible-looking. It's just a mannequin being ripped through a small window. Yeah. Plus, who whoever played her played... Uh, Played Nancy's mom. Oh my god. That was just some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. It's so bad. Absolutely terrible. And does her dad wear a, a toupee? Yes. I thought so. That makes it even better. That gets a half a star just for that. It's John Saxon. Man. Saxon. Unbelievable. That was a good time, that Marilyn Home Street. Uh, I followed it up with uh, Pigs and Battleships by Shohei Imamura. This film's from 1961. It's a sort of Japanese new wave. <clears throat> it takes place in a harbor town and just populated with American sailors everywhere. So it's about, you know, small-time pimps and gangsters trying to make a quick buck. And what they do is they have, like, a, a pig farm. And for some reason, they're gangsters running a pig farm, making money through their pig farm. I'm not exactly sure how because, honestly... The, movie is not that good at all it's just completely all over the place it's like goofball comedy and like very dark subject matter all sprinkled together and you know sort of they touch upon you know moral dilemmas and socio-political topics and the ending just devolves into again all-out silliness of just they release all these pigs and it's like a parade of pigs, like a stampede of pigs through this small harbor town. And apparently, like, a stampede of small pigs will crush everyone. Hmm. So, like, everyone gets sucked into it. And I don't know how. I mean, they only come up to, like, slightly above your ankle. But for whatever reason, they just devour everyone. And it's just honestly not that good. I was sorely disappointed. Well, it looks like you gave it a three and a half out of five on the box. It, it looks good. A lot of the, the camera work for me looks very nice. I mean, it's a black and white, and a lot of the shots that they do, it's very, um, technically speaking, it's great. It's a great film. 
but the story itself and the characters that populate the story, it's just, it's not that good. And it's not that interesting, really. Hmm. So I, it's like a very, very light recommend. But it's definitely not one of, you know, if you're going to watch Japanese New Wave, there's plenty of other films that you should watch besides Pigs and Battleships. I would put this like a low on the list if you want to check out that genre. Uh, and then I followed it up with the documentary, the Ken Burns documentary, The Central Park Five, and got super pissed off at the world. It's great. I hate, I love hate these documentaries. Nothing makes me more angry than these, uh, you know, wrongly convicted right. stories. And this one just, it's so ridiculous. Have you seen this one? No, no, I haven't. So. Oh my God, I, I, yeah. Yeah, this is one that I've been meaning to watch. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. It's, it's Play Instantly on uh, Netflix right now. And it's pretty much, I haven't seen other Ken Burns documentaries, but they, I feel as though it's what I think those documentaries are like. Like, it's just very straightforward. Everything's neatly organized for you. And it's just, you know, presents the facts to you. It's not, uh, there's no uh, nifty filmmaking here. Right, there's no flair. No, there's no flair at all. It's just, he just gives you everything. But he, you know, he does so in a concise manner and very organized. So he doesn't really leave anything out. He pretty much answers all your questions for you. So... In that sense, it's not that great of a documentary, but it is extremely compelling story, but it already is. You know, it's not that Ken Burns added anything to it. It's probably as compelling as reading it in the newspaper or right, I anything. He, I don't think he tries to add anything to his movies. You've never no, seen, no, no. like, uh, was it the, the Gettysburg or Ken Burns Baseball? I watched... I mean, we watched some of those in school. Yeah, I fell asleep every single time. Get that Gettysburg documentary is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. It's super long. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but nothing bores me more than the Civil War. It's just a snooze fest for me. Mm. But yeah, watch the Central Park Five and just get super pissed off because it's essentially f- five kids from like 14 to 16 years old that get convicted of a rape. Of a, a jogger in Central Park, they give five confessions, which are definitely coerced. I mean, it's just ridiculous. All five of them don't even match. They implicate the wrong people. They say things that go completely against what the other person said. I mean, none of them add up at all. And this is after you know being interrogated for like thirty hours. So that's all they have. And I mean, they admit to doing other crimes in Central Park at the time of the actual rape because they were just like on a crime spree through Central Park. But they were completely on the other side of Central Park when the rape actually happened. But somehow they get convicted for it. And when you find out the reason that they got convicted, it's oh, it's unbelievable. It's one of those things that I'm always worried if I ever go to trial because, you know, it's like it's a jury of your peers. And that scares the shit out of me because mm-hmm. I know my peers because I have to deal with them day in and day out and they're not that intelligent. Yeah. And they're very selfish people and impatient people and I don't want them judging me. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens here. It's just a bunch of idiots made a terrible, terrible decision and ruined five people's lives. Uh, I followed that up with uh, 
Werner Herzog's Aguar, The Wrath of God from 1972. Um, honestly, I believe that Werner Herzog just gets a group of people, takes them to a remote location, puts them in situations where they more than likely will die, and then just films it to see if they do. Because this is, it's just a small cast and crew just trekking through the Peruvian jungle and rafting down a river. And I'm not talking, like, it's, they have a raft built by locals, like the local tribesmen. So it's just wood tied together. And they go down a river. They just load up these rafts. They, like, each one has, like, ten people in it, all their equipment, you know, cameras, everything. They go down the river. And it's not like it's just a peaceful, serene river. There's rapids and shit. So they're not acting when you're getting, like, these, these expressions on their faces. This is them literally almost dying. Because Herzog is completely insane <laughs> when it comes to making films. This guy has to have the biggest balls in cinema ever. I don't, again, I don't understand how anyone signs up for his movies back during that time. I mean, it's just essentially like, hey, do you want to go die with Werner Herzog? I feel as though that's all the script says. We're going to the Peruvian jungle. You might die. You in? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it has uh, Klaus Kinski, and he's completely batshit insane. And there's a lot of uh, great behind-the-scenes stuff about Aguirre the Wrath of God. This is the film that uh, Herzog threatened to kill Klaus Kinski and then kill himself if he didn't finish the film. Uh, It's also where Klaus Kinski shot a tent full of people with a rifle and shot an extra's finger off. And, yeah, these guys are just, they're out of their minds. And it's just, no one makes these types of films anymore. And I think he's really the only one ever to just be this ballsy. It's unbelievable to watch. It's just amazing. That's what I was thinking when I saw The Visitor. Like, and I completely forgot to mention it, but you know, the, it's a movie where they're like, the film that 1979 couldn't handle. Like, that's Draft House's little tagline. And I like it, and I agree, but I don't think 2013 can handle it either. <laughs> like, they, like, just the fact that a movie like that actually made it into theaters like wide release yeah (laughs) like you're just like what that i can never i could never imagine a movie like that being made today yeah there's there's no and that's how it is for like these movies the aguar and fitzgeraldo which was just completely insane too because he he takes a goddamn boat down the river and actually gets the cast and crew to lug that boat over a hill like he forces them to do it for the film it's just these bizarre exercises that he puts people through that, I mean, like, nowadays, like, women complain about Lars Van Trier and what, you know, he puts you through. It doesn't even come close to what Herzog does to people. I don't understand how no one died during the makings of these films. It's unbelievable that no one died. Or maybe you just don't know that they did. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe people did die. You just don't know about it. <laughs> it's just crazy because he uses, like, he always uses a small crew. It's like an eight-man crew. And he does, like, all the work himself. So he lugs around the camera himself. And, like, the because I from reading the book of The Making of Heart of Glass, he gets these shots where he is literally, like, 
on the edge of if he slips, he dies to get a shot. He gets in these crazy crevices to get the perfect shot where he could die at any moment. It's just no one has balls like that. It's a shame. I agree. Yeah, it is. It's it's an absolute spectacle of a film. It's insane. It's like an art house blockbuster. I highly recommend it. Plus, Klaus Kinski is just he's just batshit insane. He freaks out on a horse, and the horse just collapse. Yeah. Just loses his shit on him. It's amazing. Uh, and then I watched uh, Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice, which is his last film from 1986. Actually, did a 10 out of 10 review this weekend, which is up on the site. It's where I sort of go in depth about it. It's essentially Tarkovsky doing a Igmar Bergman film, and he actually uses like all of Bergman's regulars, cast and crew, and he makes the greatest Igmar Bergman film ever, which had to suck for Bergman because hmm. Bergman's trying to spend his whole life trying to make one, and Tarkovsky does it just first try, nails it. It's just it's unbelievable. It's one of the most amazing films I've ever seen. Like the the bar now for like artistic filmmaking has been set so goddamn high. It makes Terrence Malick's Tree of Life look like a fucking joke. Hmm. Like a like one of those goof spoofs. <laughs> Ter- Terrence Malick's <laughs> The Tree of Life is a fucking goof spoof of Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice. Oh my God. That's what it is, man. It's ridiculous. It it features uh, Sven uh, Nickvist, the cinematographer who worked on so many Bergman films, the the lighting that he uses in The Sacrifice is the lighting that Roger Deakins dreams of capturing on film, and he never will. He's just going to be chasing that ghost forever. But Nickvist just killed it in Sacrifice. So any film that deals with like God or the meaning of life or faith or anything like that, is a goof spoof, <laughs> goof spoof. <laughs> compared to the sacrifice. I mean, this movie is just unbelievable. And this is I've I've sat through this film. This was my fifth try to finish it. I've watched this film five different times, and I haven't been able to get through it. But I finally got through it this weekend. It's a very difficult film. It's very enjoyable and it's very uh, enthralling and just absolutely amazing to to view. But it's some heavy shit. Really heavy shit, but I highly recommend it. It's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. Wow, strong my, recommendation. My, my yeah, my face exploded. Lost my shit. Cool. Goof spoofs. Goof spoofs. <laughs> I love that you just said Tree of Life is a goof spoof. It is, dude. Watch the sacrifice, and I I imagine that you'll agree with me. And, and another thing too is is this is a, like a perfect example of a film where I absolutely disagree with everything the film has to say because it's it's very religious, you know, and it's about faith and all that, and I I don't believe in any of that, but it's still amazing, and that's it. That's all I got. Let's talk about Ender's Game. Todd Wilcox, thank you so much for coming back on the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. All right, so this is written and directed by Gavin Hood based on the novel by Orson Scott Card. Uh, the, the synopsis states, The international military seek out a leader who can save the human race from an alien attack. Ender Wigan, a brilliant young mind, is recruited and trained to lead his fellow soldiers into a battle that will determine the future of Earth. 
Stars Aza Butterfield, Harrison Ford, Haley Steinfeld, Viola Davis is in it, Ben Kingsley, Abigail Breslin, a bunch of other talented young people. Uh, I wrote a review for this up on The Examiner, so we'll start with you, Todd. What did you think of Ender's Game? I thought it was slow <laughs> until the last tw- 20 minutes or so. I thought it was really slow. I slowly paced, which uh, yeah. I found annoying. Um, although, although there was more character development there for than you would maybe ordinarily get in a film about a space, you know, a, a science fiction film about an upcoming um, inevitable showdown between an alien race that's come to the Earth once and is supposedly going to come back again, and and involving children. I thought, well, okay, so I, it's a trade-off between just how slow this movie feels versus how much of Ender we're getting. Um, so it was probably an okay trade-off, but I found, I found it slow. That was my first reaction to it. Uh, I also had issues with the pacing, and I do want to prefer, preface this by saying I never read the book. So no, I've never, I never even heard of the book. You never even heard of the book. Wow. The series. I didn't even know about it. Isn't yeah. it though not for people in our age bracket? Uh no, I think it I think it definitely is. I mean it came out in like eighty five. So oh. Oh, okay. yeah. so we definitely grew up on on the book. I just never got around to reading it. I knew the story. So I knew like the twist going into it and all oh, that stuff. I had so, no clue. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't read anything about it. Yeah, I was fully aware of, of how it played out. But I did not. Ne- I never read any of the the books, so I don't really know. I, I did in preparation for my review. I did do some research and found some of the differences between the movie and the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that really didn't affect my thoughts on the movie at all. Uh, I also want to say I did have issues with the pacing, like you said. But I didn't necessarily feel that it was too slow. I felt like they jumped. There, there were just huge jumps in time that it was completely unclear to me how much time had went by. And I feel mm-hmm. like that they rushed through some things and then other things they kind of linger on for entirely too long. And yeah. I, I, I was just going to say really now, just so I don't forget. So some of this jumping to me has to do with how quickly he rises, doesn't it? I mean, well, in, in the book. He the book starts with him being I think like seven years old like six or seven and then he's by the time he goes into like the the battle school like the where he ends up in the movie at the end um, he's like ten or thirteen or somewhere around there mm-hmm. so there's a span of many years in right. in all the training and stuff which I didn't think that they were clear on at all in the movie. It seems like it's all very quick, like a matter of so days. that's very condensed. So I wasn't aware of that. It just felt, to me, it felt things that I thought were slow was sort of the, just how, I don't, I don't know. It felt like we were spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of time on his development, and yet I didn't realize that he was supposed to be developing over several years. So I see yeah. what you're saying now, but... and and. The thing that I liked about the movie is was the character stuff. Like that was my favorite part of the movie. Like yeah. all the training and you know it had kind of a full metal jacket feel almost where they're going through all the different 
exercises and whatnot, and we're getting to know some of these characters. But unfortunately, I felt like they didn't, even though that like two hours of this movie are spent with the training and him preparing and all this stuff, I didn't feel like that they spent enough time on all the characters. Like we got to know them very briefly, but we didn't really understand who these people were or anything like that. We knew Ender, right? but we didn't really get to know any of the other characters. And from what I understand in the book, they spend more time developing the other characters, like his brother and his sister and the, the bean character. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of wish that they spent more time developing the relationships between these characters and less time like with that video game and that whole thing. Yeah. I thought that yeah. that was ridiculous. And the video clip that they show over and over and over right. the guy flying with the, the guy the flying into the show video. Yeah. Clip. yeah. They show that over and over. I mean, they show it like four or five times in the movie. Right. And I was just like, okay, that's entirely too much. I'm done with this time that they could have been giving to, because he has to become a leader and that those were those were certainly moments when the film jumped like he he does one thing that somebody sees or hears about and suddenly he gets the guys like Bean and Ally and all the on his side right and and so he's not he's becoming a leader but we're not really seeing how he's becoming a leader in any conceivably leadership sort of way yeah i mean it just um, it sort of happens and it just sort of yeah that's the way we just have to go with it <laughs> and and that's the other thing like this this is a very it's a very symbolic movie it's it's supposed to be i guess analogous of our society and everything and i didn't i felt like they kind of scrapped a lot of that in lieu of making it a young adult novel adaptation mm -hmm. Like, I felt like they made everything very mainstream and they threw away a lot of the social commentary that I kind of wanted to see. And they do they do leave it in, like, to a certain degree, but I felt like they could have done more with that. Like, rather well, they than... they save a lot of it for the ending, don't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah, they do. But Which we I, can't I, talk about yet. But. No, I, I feel like that they could have done more with, like, kind of Ender's the psychology of, of how he thinks and, like, the kind of moral dilemmas that he's looking at. Because he sees things differently, you know, that's what makes him who he is. That's what makes him the chosen one or, or whatever, because he, he can look at it differently. They show they do. They do try to do some of it, but they they don't they, they sort of drop the ball on it. So without even understanding him from the books, you understood from the film that his sister Valentine is the empathetic one right and his older brother who washed out of command school is the more violent one and that ender as the third child that they had to get permission to have in this controlled population population world uh, that we live in is a combination of the two and that he only but he only uses violence when he needs to when provoked to make a point to stop future violence right there's a so he is the he is the sort of the two sides. He he can be also empathetic. The movie starts with a quote uh, about you, knowing your enemy is to love your enemy and this mm -hmm. kind of thing. So they they tried to do some of that, but I agree that there's not enough of it 
as good as Aza Butterfield is at being likable, understandable, he comes across, you know, probably pretty well. Yeah, and I thought that he, I was concerned that he was going to be annoying as a character, but I actually en- enjoyed him, and I thought he did a great job as yeah. as Ender. I was excited. Just I think I maybe told you before we saw the film that I wanted to see it largely because of him and because I saw him in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas when he was about six or seven, mm-hmm. which is a devastating book and a devastating film, and he was so good in it. And then Hugo, he was so good in. Right, yeah. He's and I, been, thought, I yeah. thought, if he has to carry this film, he's, <laughs> he's going to carry the film. And he does carry the film really, really well. But. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, did, I, I do want to say that I did like the movie overall, but I do have a lot of issues with it that I didn't really get into in my written review. So that's why I kind of want to bring them up now. Um, the, I didn't understand... I didn't feel like they conveyed enough of the logic behind using children because there were there were certain times, especially near the end, where I'm I was thinking like, why are they using children here? Do they <laughs> do they really have to? And like moreover, with the training sequences and things like that, where they're really working on learning how to fight and their physical fitness and all that stuff, and I'm just like. Why, why are they doing that if they're just going to be sitting in front of a computer? I don't understand what the point of that was. And there were there were just a lot of other things that I think that I think that they probably it probably conveys it better in the book. Like we, we know that they say, oh, using children is their strategy because children have a better understanding of like how strategy works and they can think faster than adults and blah, blah, blah. But I just don't feel like they, they didn't sell me on it. No, I agree with that. Wasn't there also something that was suggestive that although the book being written when it was, um, maybe doesn't, doesn't support this, but something about their ability to function with technology is different. Yeah. I think that probably this, this came out, the book came out at the height of like when video games were becoming really big. And I think that that might play a role in it. I mean, it, it certainly it's even came more out. true now. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's another thing that I said in my review is that I think that this is kind of a good time for this movie to come out, uh, right. both from a financial standpoint. I mean, you look at Harry Potter compared with this, the mm-hmm. similarities are undeniable. Yes between those yeah. two movies down to the quidditch versus the game they yeah play. Um, exactly yeah. so with this big boom in like the harry potters and the twilights and all this stuff and hunger games this is a perfect time for this movie to come out and but also i think that a lot of the the social issues that are kind of big big topic issues nowadays with like bullying and war and all this stuff i think that the, it is a good time for it to come out. And I think that it is very relevant more, maybe even more relevant now than back in the eighties when the book came out. Yeah, I think so. I would think so. I thought the book was more recent because of that, but nope. I didn't, I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Yeah. And I, but I think that again, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the subject matter was kind of dumbed down in order to make a big popcorn movie like a big spectacle movie, which kind of leads me to the next topic that I want to talk about, which is the visuals. Uh, 
Now, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I thought to myself, that looks horrible. Like, nothing about that movie appeals to me whatsoever. And I think that the main reason for that is in the trailers, it's largely the the big space battles that they right. show. And I thought that the space battles, seeing them in the context of the movie, I thought they were better. But from a visual standpoint, I didn't think it was a very good looking movie. I thought a lot of the CG looked pretty cheap and... The only stuff that I thought was actually interesting to look at was the stuff inside the ship. Mm-hmm. Like their suits, I thought were kind of cool looking. The um, the training room where they're the zero G it has a name, but I can't remember it. Yeah. You know, the, the Quidditch. Yeah, the battle room or whatever. The, yeah, I thought that that was really cool looking. But by and large, I thought that all of the effects work and stuff was pretty weak any thoughts on the visuals no i agree with you about this i this the the battle um which again is mostly what's in the trailer uh which is to try to draw you and excite you uh it there's just so much happening in it that um and it goes by so quickly it it feels like maybe they I don't know how to put. It's almost like they cheated a little bit uh, on the visuals there. Mm-hmm. Um, that they could have been somehow cleaner, more detailed, more. I don't know. They had a little over a hundred million dollars to work with, right? Um, sh- certainly, most of that, or some of that, a lot of that, is at, at the end. Um, and it, it it did feel a little. There's a lot going on in the last twenty minutes to look at and to try to take in what you're seeing but yeah. i didn't have i didn't have too much of a problem with it i did like the details inside the ship yeah uh, i liked i liked all that i liked the the interfaces of the consoles and stuff like that and mm-hmm. I thought all that stuff was was pretty cool looking and little little details like the way they type with three fingers and... mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> oh, that was pretty cool things like that i i did think that the end felt very abrupt like the whole final scene just felt kind of abrupt and then they added on that bit at the the end which i guess we we can go into some spoilers and talk about that um did oh. you did you want to talk about anything else generally before we get into a spoiler section now, i i sort of thought you know if i had to give this some kind of score that it would it would maybe be five out of ten, maybe six out of ten, somewhere in there. Just a a mid range film for me, um, with potential. But every time that they started to go down a particular area where there seemed like there was a lot of potential, they divert. They either dropped it or got diverted by something. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's exactly how I feel about it. It was pretty middle of the road. See, now I thought that this was going to be a disaster going into it. So I had very low expectations. So I was pretty pleased. I mean, the first half of the movie, I was I was like genuinely into it. Like I liked the dynamic between all the characters. I thought that most of the characters were interesting. But then it slowly started going downhill for me. Until the end, and I was just like, ah, you know, middle of the road. Yeah, it was, which is which is sad given given the potential. I think some of those characters are miscast. Some of the adults, I I didn't. Harrison Ford was bothered me a little bit. Um, Yeah, I mean, 
I think that he was better in this than a lot of the more recent stuff that he's been doing, but it still felt like he was kind of phoning it in. Yeah. Like, and Viola Davis is kind of there in a, in a almost being used as a woman uh, where she's caring about the kids. She's, she's the one that says, I'm going to have to take care of them when it's all over. Mm-hmm. And I sort of felt like, well, did why is she here exactly? Except that she's a female actress, and well, that's what an actress is. But I mean, she's a female actor, and she's in this role, and she's the mothering figure to his father figure. That felt very. She felt kind of out of place for me, although she's a great actress. Right. But I just thought they they their 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 interactions, the adults' interactions. And the interactions between the children and the adults were less interesting than the interactions between the children. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think I think uh, Viola Davis, her role seemed to be to make sure that the audience knows that there is some sort of uh, moral <laughs> dilemma here, moral yeah, issue right. that's that's happening. Where she's she's the one that that is making sure that we know that these are kids and that this is not. You know, there's going to be this kind of loss of innocence as a result of what they're doing. Yeah. And it's like she, I, she was just there to kind of hammer that home. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I, I thought she 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 hammered it home and yet I still didn't know what was going to happen in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the last 20 minutes. Let's get into some spoilers on Ender's Game. So we are in a spoiler section now. We'll have the time code in the show notes. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, go ahead and fast forward this. Uh, I guess we can start with the big twist where obviously it's they thought that they were doing a training exercise, a simulation, and it turned out to be real. And (laughs) Ender blew up the entire planet. Yes, he does. Uh, and loses how many ever thousand of thousands. His own yeah. yeah. What I didn't really understand was how how that worked because they were like, okay, you blew up the transport ships, and there were like several thousand people on those transport ships. But what I I just don't understand the the dynamics of how that works. Like, were the people in the transport ships pilots of the smaller fighter ships? No, because the smaller like what. Those were drones. Yeah, that's what I thought. So th- right. those are those are controlled by the kids. Right. So what are all the people doing in the transport ships? I assume where are that they that being was... <laughs> where are they being transported to, and why I are assume, they there? <laughs> I assume that that was the ground forces. I guess. Yeah, I guess m- maybe that's what it was. Because they could go onto the planet. We find out and. As long as they have extra oxygen, they can breathe on the planet. So, but that wasn't. But I mean, I would assume that that's the same. But the planet they were on was not the alien homeworld. That was a different planet. Oh, I I yeah, didn't know the, the planet I, that they were on, where the base was. They said that that was a uh, a planet in between Earth and the alien homeworld, and that's where their base was, and they took it their, over. Yeah, their forward base, right? They right. Call it, yeah. So I guess with that, we could assume that humans can be on their planet as well. Either I way, yeah, I mean, either way, it was pretty shitty that he sacrificed those transport ships and killed all those people for no reason. And had no idea that he was even doing it. Yeah. yeah. No or idea. Knew that he knew that he was sacrificing those ships, but didn't think it thought it was a simulation and therefore no one was on those ships. Right. 
right well what did what did you think of how it ended and the how ender reacted and all that stuff well i com- i completely understood why he would react that way i mean it was completely i had no idea that was coming so when that when the, i was just sort of following along the film again still thinking it's pretty slow glad that it had finally picked up and we were at the um the real action part of it and so i was just sort of following this along and thinking thinking the whole time that it was a game and so when it wasn't and he found out that it wasn't i was pretty pissed for him i (laughs) thought well that was a that was a terrible thing to do to this kid uh who we've seen all along is not the word is not a troubled kid but a complex kid Mm -hmm. with all the emotions that one would imagine a child would have and that Harrison Ford just needs him, really just needs him to be a killing machine and is constantly trying to make him that, is excited when he is that. And anything that has to do with uh, him thinking about the aliens as something other than enemies, like the mind game that she allows him to play, that um, Viola Davis's character allows him to play, in which we find out that the alien is trying to communicate with him through the game. But there's a moment when Harrison Ford says, well, you allowed that to happen uh, in in the mind game. So it's almost like he's... So he's trying to connect, and he's connecting with the aliens. He thinks the aliens can be reasoned with. He's an example of a preemptive strike is not the right doctrine. Diplomacy is the right doctrine first. He's all that. And then he ends up being told, well, this is what happened, or finding out this is what happened. I was, I was pissed for him. I thought he handled that well, Asa, as a, as an actor. And I think he the convinced me. <laughs> yeah, and I think he was the, upset. The big thing about that afterwards was the interaction between Harrison Ford and Asa Butterfield when he was. They were kind of arguing back and forth, and Ender says, "What if that wasn't their home planet? What if they have another planet?" Yeah, because you know he's he's the type of person that's always thinking five moves ahead. Right. And Harrison Ford was just going under the assumption that that's their home planet. Once we wipe that out, that's it. But Ender is thinking, you know, the, the, what are the odds that they have another planet? Now we're really fucked. Now, yeah. now they're going to come after us in force, and now we're right. really screwed. Because, because as we found out with every other alien film that ever happened, they, they came to Earth the first time for water, and uh, and this time they'll be coming back for revenge. Right. So <laughs> they'll, be, yeah. they'll be even more upset the second time around. And now there are sequels to the book. I don't know how many of them are written, uh, but they, the, they end the film with kind of a lead-up to what I would assume is the second book. I have no idea. Apparently, there's even a book that centers on the character of Bean. Oh, I liked Bean. Yeah, I liked him too. I didn't think he was used enough. That goes yeah. back to my initial complaint about the movie. <laughs> and Petra and others. I and I, I liked the I liked the kids. I really did. Like I said, versus the adults. Yeah, um, but it was funny though. Did you see? Did you see Kings of Summer? No, I haven't seen that. Well, that was like one of my favorite movies this year. And uh, the guy who plays Bonzo 
is in Kings of Summer, and he kind of steals the show in Kings of uh, Summer. <laughs> and it was com- I was completely unable to see him as anything but his character in Kings of Summer <laughs> in that movie. So it was, that was kind of difficult. But he did he did a fine job too. He was fine. Yeah, he was good. Um, yeah, I think what you know at the end too. He he goes to the to the planet, finds the queen, and. Uh, and finds the new queen. But so, see, I thought that somehow he was on. It didn't look like the same planet, but why is she there by herself? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really get that. I didn't understand that. Why would then, they? Oh. Well, I don't think he was. He, why would he, they have the egg of a queen on a f- empty forward base? Well, that doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't make sense that he gets to another planet and she's the only one there and he has to remove the new queen to a new planet. I don't understand that. I'm pretty sure it was on the base they were at. Cause oh, they, I cause, thought... cause they show him going outside. Right. And I thought H- they were on Steinfeld the... was there. I and... thought they were on the base. I thought you said before it wasn't that planet. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. They were, they were on the forward base and he, he runs outside and he goes into that cave and finds the egg. Okay. So they they were not on any other planet. They were on, which is funny because you would think that if we go and take over a planet that that was used as a base for the aliens, that we would search it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, <laughs> we we would look through it, and we would probably notice a giant cave with a giant room and a giant egg in the middle of it, and a giant queen, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. over yeah, protecting it, yeah. That I didn't, I didn't really get any of that stuff. So no, but like you said earlier, the ending felt a lot of um, it came too quick. So again, pacing. There's another example of pacing being a problem. I thought that it was the end was very rushed. I mean, yeah. like they they got through that end really really quickly, and I, they spent a lot more time with the training stuff, which I think would be fine if they kind of evened it out. You know, if they if they took because it's like a 300-page book, so there's a lot of stuff that happens in this book. It spans years. If they broke this up into like three movies or something like that, maybe it would have worked better. Because then, mm-hmm. then in the final chapter, they could have spent more time with the actual battles and how that worked and things like that. Because all the training battles, even the last battle when it's real, they go through it. It takes like five minutes. Yeah, like five minutes in the battle's over. I would think that in the book and maybe if this were a real life scenario, the battle would be pretty long. Yeah, well, at one point, um, Mazer, right, the Ben Kingsley character says something like, "This this battle could last for days." Yeah, and it 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 doesn't last for days. But it, I I thought that that was to show how brilliant Ender was that he he got it done in five minutes. It could be, yeah. I mean, that's entirely possible. They keep doing that through the movie. They keep sh- showing how brilliant he is. And I, I uh, did, I also read that in how the... How almost perfect he is. I and, read that uh, in the book, the the tests that they did up until the real battle were, they, they lasted like day and night, day in, day out, no sleep. And it was like, they were just doing simulation after simulation. So by the time they hit the last one, He's so worn out and he's just 
so tired of doing this that he's just like, fuck it. And he just sends everything in. Mm. And that's the real one. Oh, well, see, that makes more sense. Right. And I think that if they conveyed that, I mean, they could even do like a little montage, you know, like just showing that they're doing this over and over and over. And it's like wearing them out. And they're just they're so done with this that they just reached their breaking point. We could have we I could have watched another 15 or 20 minutes of it. Yeah. Um, in order to have more of that, more of that. It felt like the tests were not nearly as, it felt like the, t- the tests leading up, like you say, at least the ones we see in the film, are relatively tame compared to what they're then expected to do for the battle. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I'm not sure that I would feel prepared to do what they're about to ask me to do if I'm Ender and all of his little team uh, of people of kids i just would not feel ready to do it so that so i see what you mean about it feeling rushed i guess i meant in some places it felt slow because it felt like there's nothing meaningful happening for for these five minutes Um, no yeah and i i agree with that too i think that that all goes along with how they they breeze through some things they linger entirely too long on other things and I mean, it's granted, it's probably a hard book to adapt into a movie because you're trying to appeal to uh, a wide audience. You know, this is a movie that I would say is essentially for kids mm-hmm. when the from what I understand, the book has some very adult themes in it. And I think that it's probably a difficult balance. And rather than going one way or the other they tried to mix the two make it appeal to tweens while trying to keep in the kind of moral of the story and it just it didn't really gel with me yeah but a lot of these don't a lot of these adaptations of these kinds of books have not really worked the harry potter films have really worked but um but I'm not a big fan so far of the Hunger Games. I've only seen the one because that's the only one that's come out. But yeah, I'm not a but I'm not a fan of that movie. Um, I'm not a fan of the Twilight movies. Most no, of which I, I. I haven't seen because I stopped trying to watch them. Um, and then Harry Potter. I'm, I've never read the books, but I, I generally like the films. But part of that is because they spend so much time on everything that you just get a lot of information and that's probably a good thing. So I don't know, maybe, maybe if there's multiple films and they're a little longer with Ender, I would like it a little more, but yeah, I don't know. I don't don't know if they're, they seem to be all hard franchises to me. Yeah. Well, I think that there's more to this story as well. Like with the hunger games, everything is just so on the nose. And I read the books and I didn't think that they were very good books either. Mm. Like, I didn't think that they were particularly well written. And it, it all seemed so derivative in the books. But with Ender's Game, I think that it is an interesting story with interesting characters. And I think that it does have something to say. But unfortunately, trying to take that into and turn it into a Hollywood movie, I think it's just a little bit too difficult and... You know, there were just a lot of things that didn't work with the movie for me. Yeah, and and I'm not sure about um, its direction either. Gavin Hood kind of has a an odd background. 
Uh, he has an extremely odd background. I mean, really, from from uh, I can never pronounce it. Satsi. Satsi, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, the the foreign language winner from from back in two thousand five, which I love. I love that movie. And then things like Rendition, which didn't work at all for me. And then X Men Origins. X Men Origins Wolverine. It's like what what kind of list is this? And then. And then he's doing he's doing this film. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure he was the best choice. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because he also wrote the screenplay, or at least a draft of the screenplay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know how I feel about him doing this, and or, or who would be better. I mean, looking at something like Satsi, maybe I can see where shades of that are in here just dealing with the characters and the development of them and dilemma. <laughs> yeah. I, I could, I yeah. could maybe see a little bit of that, but I don't know. It's certainly, I think that this is better than rendition and X-Men origins. Yeah. I will say that, but I, I don't know. Um, I would also like to, well, I guess we can, do, do you have any other spoilers before we get out? No, of this? no, I think that's it. Okay. All right, so we're back out of the spoiler section. Before we get our final thoughts, I guess uh, we should probably briefly mention Orson Scott Card, uh, uh, yeah. noted noted bigot. <laughs> uh, now, to my understanding, he really had very little to do with this movie. Right. Was it? Did it cross your mind at all to think like oh, maybe I shouldn't go see this because of, no. because of him? No. Didn't. No, I'm too too much of a proponent of free expression and free speech. Yeah, it, it didn't it didn't bother me at all. Like the only thing that I would probably suggest is don't go out and buy the book. <laughs> like if if you get the book, maybe get it used or something because I, I don't really want to support this guy because I think he is an asshole and I don't think he deserves any any bit of uh, residuals from this. And to my understanding, he's not really making any money from this movie, so right. I'm I'm cool with that. But also, I know that there were some people that were not going to go see this just based on his his views. And I will say that there's really nothing. There's no subtext to this movie about no anything that he practices and follows and all that. There, there's nothing like that. I guess the only thing was in in the book. The aliens were called buggers, and, and they changed that in the movie. But I don't know if that was some sort in the book. I don't think that that was some sort of you know gay statement gay, about homose- yeah. homosexuality. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that that was just what they were called. But all right, they, like bugs. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Ender's Game? No, just sort of missed opportunities. Could have one of those films that could have been better. Could have been longer even not by much more and done more with it and it would have raised it up a little bit for me but if if you like Aza Butterfield you'll you'll love you'll love him in this movie yeah I, I pretty much agree um I liked it but I didn't think it was anything special I didn't think it was anything great where does this stack up compare comparing this to some of the other big science fiction movies that came out earlier this summer like uh, Oblivion and Another Earth and Elysium. 
Uh, I like Elysium better, but not by too much. And then I would put it way above Oblivion. I thought Oblivion was just should be in Oblivion because that I hated <laughs> that movie. And um, <laughs> and then what was the other one? Oh, another another Earth. Earth. Not, another was it Earth. called Another Earth? It was. I didn't see or it after. Was it After Earth? Oh, I think, it was called, I think it was After Earth. Another Earth is the one with Britt Marley. Oh, sorry, that's right. <laughs> after Earth, there's too many. There are too many. No, it's um, it's it is sort of still middle of the road, right? So, and they've all to me been kind of either middle of the road or a little less than that. Um, this year there hasn't been Star a real Trek also Star Trek, uh, which was to me weaker than the first one. Uh, I, I thought it was anyway, which was really sad because Benedict Cumberbatch is so interesting to look at, but and to listen to. But um, I, I didn't like it as much. I haven't liked. I don't guess there's any science fiction film I've seen so far this year that I've liked, except Mister Nobody, which I saw way back when it when I bought the DVD years ago. But that's a different story. Uh, as far as science fiction, I. Gravity is probably my favorite. Oh, I didn't even think about gravity. I didn't think about that as science fiction, but... What do you consider it? (laughs) (laughs) If not science fiction. It's just a straight-up drama. It's not a... I think it's science fiction, but... I think gravity is probably my top science fiction, but I did like Europa. I I forgot about gravity. Yes, if if we call gravity science fiction, then it's one of the top films of the year. (laughs) Sorry about that. Sorry, uh, Gravity. Sorry. I liked Europa Report, too. I thought that was pretty solid. Wasn't great, though. I mean, I'd probably put it on the same level as Ender's Game, maybe. It just hasn't been that many this year. No. I mean, not good well, ones. Well, there's been... There's, yeah, that that should be your, the caveat. There's been a shitload of them, but they had just haven't been very good. Right. And I think we're going to get a whole bunch more with, like, RoboCop and... All these other ones coming out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you said you would give Ender's Game like a, a five or a six out of ten. Yeah, somewhere in there. That's that's where I'm sitting. I when I reviewed it, it's out of five on the Examiner, and you can't do halves, so I gave it a three out of five, which I would actually give it like a two and a half out of five if if I could do halves. So right. There you have it, Ender's Game. I think maybe if you're a big fan of the book, you might you might like it, just to see it on the big screen. I don't know. All right, well, I think that that'll wrap it up. Thank you so much, Todd, for taking some time to talk with us. Thank you. Let's talk about some predictions. Ender's Game, I said 50, you said 62. Actual 62. You gotta be shitting me. How about that? Uh, Freebirds, I... <laughs> Free birds. Free birds. I said 50. You said 42. Actual 21. Good. Free birds. Free birds. Last Vegas. I said 32. You said 54. Actual 43. Mm. And finally, about time. I said 42. You said 28. Actual 65. You got to be shitting me. Yeah. 65. Next week, only one release hitting wide, and that's Thor The Dark World. Oh, yeah. I think that this is going to be pretty good, just like 
all the other Marvel stuff, I think that it'll be rated pretty high. So I'm going to say 76. 76. I'm going to say um, 79. It does currently have an 84, but I'm not sure how many critics have reviewed it yet. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to drop a little I bit. I think it's going to drop. <clears throat> Something tells me that it's probably not going to be rated higher than the than the first one, but I don't mm. remember what the first one got. I do remember it was positive. Okay. But I don't remember the exact number. Uh, limited release, we have Birth of the Living Dead, which is a documentary about the George Romero Dead series. Yeah. We have The Book Thief. So what is this, like the year of horror movie documentaries? Well, that, that what's going on? Well, the Nightmare on Elm Street one came out a while back. The, oh, okay, okay. The Friday the 13th one did come out this, this year. So. Yeah, just seems like every, that's what everyone's doing right now. Yeah, there it is sort of a sort of a thing right now, and I love it because I, I find horror movies like making of. Oh yeah, it's always good. It, to be it's really always interesting, interesting to see the like the practical effects and how they do everything. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't think I'd be that interested in the making of Tree of Life, the goose. Um, the, the goose spook. Like I don't think that that'd be very fun or interesting. You don't want to hear. Um, Terrence Malick recite his shitty poetry <laughs> in uh, whispers in whispers into your ears. No, it doesn't sound that good. <laughs> also limited release, we have The Book Thief. You excited for this one? Book Thief? Book Thief. I'm not. Is that, is that based on a book? I'm not excited. Probably. I feel as though that's based I on a book. I think it is. It sounds familiar, The Book Thief. I think it is, but I'm not interested. How I Me. Live Now which is uh, one with Sorsa Ronin. What's it called? How I Live Now. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think it's like a post-apocalyptic story of some sort. Oh, that's cool. Best Man Down with Justin Long and The Armstrong Lie, which is the new documentary by Alex Gibney. Pretty excited for that one. Okay, all right. Uh, Video On Demand, we have How I Live Now. A Case of You, which is a romantic comedy, I believe. Is it about, does it have time travel? I, let's hope. I hope so. I don't know, but I, 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 hope, God, hope, so. I hope that genre just takes off. Paris Countdown, which is a French action film that we'll be covering next week. And The Motel Life, which I have a mild interest in. Oh, okay. It's with yeah. Emil Hirsch and... Chris Christopherson's in it, and uh, somebody else. Who, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, John Saxon. No, it's not John Saxon. <laughs> What's Steven, the... Steven Dorff. Steven, Steven Dorff. Dorf. Yeah. Still around. Looks pretty Looks pretty good. I like Steven Dorff. I think that he just gets shitty roles yeah, or something. He does. He does. I thought somewhere was going to take him somewhere. That's what I was but... hoping, because he, he does a yeah. good job in that. Yeah, like, he he's does. He's really good in that. Yeah, he makes up for all the terribleness. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's infecting that film. <laughs> yeah, DVD and Blu-ray releases got a bunch of stuff next week. We have see that. as I lay dying. Oh, thank God! I, I really want you to see that just to get your take on it. I, I think probably it, will watch it. I think it'll just, be pretty funny, just so I can hate on it. Clear History, which is the HBO film with. Um, Larry David. 
Computer Chess comes out and it has a great cover. Not sure if you saw the cover for that. Uh, Looks like a VHS. Looks like a VHS tape. Fantastic. Uh, Deceptive Practice. That's the one. That's the documentary about Ricky Jay. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see that too. I'm interested in that. The Fitzgerald Family Christmas. Not interested in that. That's the Ed Burns one, I believe. Oh my god, that oh, so amazing. Can't Girl, wait. Girl Most Likely. That's the one with Ava Mendez. Looks pretty bad. <laughs> Grown Ups Two looks pretty bad. Lovelace <laughs> is pretty bad. <laughs> Parkland. Oh, I was god. actually mildly interested in Parkland, but I I heard nothing about it so i've heard nothing but bad things yeah so i'm probably not gonna bother with that one passion which we both hated that was easily the worst film of the year so far it's pretty bad another pretty bad one was syrup which which i saw not too long ago and finally white house down (laughs) so actually there's a lot of stuff coming out next week but most of it is garbage most of it is shit. There is a 25th anniversary edition of Scrooged. Yeah, I noticed that there are a bunch of Christmas Blu-rays coming out next week. Scrooged? And why does Scrooged have a meta score of 38? What the hell is wrong with people? I don't know. It's Scrooged. You kidding me? I love Scrooged. Everyone does. Except J. Scott from the Globe and Mail. <laughs> and Roger Ebert. Ebert did not like Scrooged. Eh, that's Apparently. okay. Whatever. Yeah, it's okay. loss. Well, I think that that'll wrap it up. Are there any criterions or anything? There are actually no criterions. No criterions? Okay. No. Yeah, none. Well, I think that that'll do it. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Up these numbers. Come on, Ender's game. Come on, Ender's game.